Welcome to the Vineyard Northridge Weekly Sermon Podcast. We hope you enjoy this message by Dennis Kozloff. For more information about our church, visit our website at vineyardnorthridge.org or find us on social media at Vineyard Northridge. Hey, I see so many new faces here. Thank you so much for coming and checking this church. If you came open, God is going to speak to you. God is going to touch you. And God is going to take on your heart because he's got something great for you. Okay, and uh, you wonder, who is this guy who came up and why does he sound funny? My name is Dennis. I'm just introducing myself to people who haven't met me yet. I wasn't born in this country. I wasn't born in Ohio. But as I say, I got here, I got here as soon as I could. And I sound funny because my, my English is not my native language. And I love this, this church because they are so hungry for the Lord that they pass by my butchering your English grammar or whatever. So, and last week somebody told me, you even sounded like someone from Kentucky one time. <laughs> when, when, when you switched from dude to friends, somebody told me, you, you really sounded like you, you have this uh, southern drawl. So... I, so, and today, I only slept three hours, so my sermon, I, I, I still has been working night shifts last week, so I got out of there last Friday, and yesterday we had this wonderful worship, so I had night to prepare for the sermon, to finish preparing for a sermon, and my sinuses make me sound French today, besides being <laughs> Russian, so you have to deal with this somehow, right? <clears throat> okay, got, I got it. So we, we continue our series that we call the Gospel of God. This is a series of messages based on the book of Romans. And in the book of Romans, all scholars agree, including the greatest scholar of Northridge, Neil Haney and me, uh, they all agree that this is the clearest presentation of Paul's understanding of the Gospel. The Gospel is translated as good news. So if you read the Bible and it doesn't sound like a good news to you, you're not getting the Gospel. All right, so we're trying to make sure you get the gospel, I get the gospel, we all get the gospel. It sounds like a good news to us, and we have something to share with people as a good news. And we have covered a lot already in the, uh, uh, in the book of Romans. It's the longest, longest letter that Paul wrote in the New Testament. And <clears throat> excuse me, <clears throat> because it's longest, it's so easy to get lost in it. So today, I'm finishing the remain of chapter 5 of Romans. But I will not unpack it in details. Instead, I would, I would try to give you a review, a bird's eye view on the book of Romans again. Because this little passage that I'm covering today in chapter 5 is a bridge. It's a transition between two major parts of the book of Romans. So what are those two major parts? The first part is found in chapters from 118 through 511. Some of you take notes, you can take it. So the first part of the gospel of God found in the book of Romans is found in chapters 1 through 111, 118, sorry, through 511. And it deals, <clears throat> it deals with our position before God objectively. I call it the judicial side of salvation. Many of you heard the uh, expression, doctrine of justification by faith. That's it. Justification is a legal term. What it means, it means a pronouncement that somebody is not guilty. Powerful, authoritative, 
pronouncement of somebody not guilty. And that's already enough to be good news for you and me. Because what God does in Christ Jesus, first, He makes you know, He makes sure you understand that you are guilty. And then He does an amazing thing. He flips the tables and He says, you're not guilty. You're not guilty. That's justification by faith. And most theologians call it justification. I call it legal, legal, uh, judicial side of salvation. Uh, uh, so the second, the first part is concerned with our outward position before God. You see, originally we are under, we saw in the first chapter that originally we are under God's condemnation due to our sin. And the wrath of God is our portion. If you're apart from Christ, if you're just by yourself and you're trying to pull it off and to become a, to be a nice person, being nice is not enough. In the standards of God, we don't measure up. And because of that, there is judgment and there is condemnation. I wish I could tell you otherwise, but it's not. The Bible says that we all stand judged because all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Can I hear an amen to that? All right, so Romans 23 says that. But this is the very logic that Paul used. All have sinned, no exception. That's why all are saved by grace. And last time I, I tried to nail it on this side of the congregation. It's a gift. And Randy said, I really like when you did that. I'm going to do it to this, to this side now. It's a gift of God, not of you. You can't contribute to that. You can't add anything to that. In fact, you're trying to add something to that stops you in experiencing the fullness of this. That's the good news. <laughs> so we need to be saved from this state of being condemned. And the gospel Paul preached declares boldly that God has accomplished our redemption. It is done. It is done by Christ alone. So because Christ has died for us, we are justified now. We have peace with God now. We have access to the grace of God. God is not longer a stern judge for you. He's a good father for you. God is actually is enjoyable God now. Our goal number one, our priority is to learn to enjoy God. When you worship, learn to enjoy God. He's ready. Listen, last time we talked about that the gospel is not a theory. The gospel is not just a fancy teaching from the Bible. The gospel is there to lead you into experience. And what is this experience? In chapter 5 is described as, For the love of God is poured into our heart by the Holy Spirit. You and I, if you identify as a Christian, you're called to experience the move of the Spirit of God in your heart. And what does that Spirit does? It unfolds, it reveals love of God for you on the experiential level. All right? <laughs> That's a good news for me. I don't know about you. It sounds like a good news to me. All right. So, <clears throat> this part is concerned, as I said, with our outward position before God. Originally, I said that. I'm sorry. I'm, I'm, I'm messing with my notes again. I better preach without notes, I guess. Notes. 
So as I was thinking, Lord, what can I compare this first part of the gospel, the judicial side? How can I il illustrate that? And the example that came to me was a practice that I learned about here in America, co-signing. I know that uh, many people here and you have different philosophies and ideas about co-signing. For me personally, one time in my life I experienced, I had a very bad experience when my name was together with somebody else's name on the legal document, that other person messed up, I didn't know it, then I had to pay through the nose. After that I said, no more, never again, forget about it. And I read it actually in the book of Proverbs, but I'm not preaching about for or against co-signing. The only person that I would personally co-sign with is my wife, because she can ruin my life anyway. So <clears throat> even my kids, even my kids tried to put pressure on us, like, hey, you're gonna, like, we don't have any credit history here. You, you gotta co-sign for us to be able to get our first car. I said, no. And they got our first car fine. And then college came. Oh, college, yeah, co-sign. I said, no. <laughs> I, I love my kids, but here's my thing. I don't want to, <clears throat> to sign a legal document. I'm okay to lose money that I have. I'm not okay signing for money that I don't have yet. Do you, do you get the point? It's a bonus for you, those who need like some financial wisdom. But I'm not preaching about that. This example of co-signing is exactly that. So can you imagine us being not just broke, but getting into extreme debt in a country where there are no laws about bankruptcy. And everybody knows about it. And then there's a question, will anybody co-sign with you? And you know what? Jesus said, I will. I will co-sign. I will make myself responsible to pay every single debt that this person generated. And he did it. And that's a good news. And that's a justification by faith. That alone is enough to get us going through this life. But listen, there's more. You know, Paul, he must be, he probably will be in sales today because he, he gives you a piece of good news and that, has, that there's more. So there is more. Wait, there's more. If you call today, no. <laughs> so when we call, when we receive this go, uh, good news, we, we, we experience, let me find this. I, I'm having a problem with my computer. Maybe I should get rid of my computer. We gladly receive it by faith and it fills us with joy unspeakable and full of glory. When you hear that God loves you, when you hear that the blood of Jesus Christ erases any, any guilt, any condemnation, you're not a debtor anymore. You're not an enemy of God. God receives you and accepts you in Jesus Christ. You are brought into Jesus this is amazing. That fills you with joy and speakable full of glory. And last week we talked about some of those experiences. And it's a common typical story for many Christians. You hear the gospel, you receive it, you get filled with joy and hope, and you float for about two, three months. Or maybe even a year, some of you. But then you begin to notice something that although objectively, outwardly, positionally, 
there was a tremendous change. You're no longer a sinner. You're no longer guilty. You're no longer debtor. Christ co-signed for you. He paid all of your debts. Dispositionally, stuff comes out of you every once in a while, especially if you're married. <laughs> Wives and husbands, they have this special gift of taking it, whatever you have. And then you say things that you regret later, and then you do things, you react, and here's what happens. You are a Christian. You know it. God touched you. You heard the gospel. But you act so unchristian sometimes. And it bothers you. And you don't know. And it, you're, you're puzzled. You begin to, and it may lead you to, to begin to doubt your salvation even. To, to question it. And that's, my friend, when you really need to understand second part of the book of Romans. Not objective, not judicial side of salvation, but what I call organic, organic salvation. Salvation by His life. You see, in the first part, you've been taken, you've been cleansed, you've been put into Jesus. And now, whatever Jesus has on, on His account is credited to you. But now you need to have Jesus be put into you. So that you are saved not only positionally before God, but dispositionally. So that He would rearrange your internal being. He would permeate you. He would permeate different parts of your being. Transform you. And that's what Paul begins to talk about beginning from chapter 6, 7, and 8. These three chapters are the kernel, the, the core of the subjective experiential salvation of God presented by Paul in the book of Romans. Chapter 6 will be amazing. Pastor Neil, I believe, is going to talk about chapter 6 next. It's crazy. It blows your mind. When Paul says there is more, yes, there is more. And today some, some, some of the people are going to be baptized. He talks about that in chapter 6. Chapter 6 is a beautiful chapter about our identification and union with Christ. He's so one with us. You, you have no idea how much He's one with us. A lot of religious groups teach you about the distance that you have between you and God. Hey, if you believe in Christ, there is no more distance. You don't operate from distance mindset. You operate from being inside, being brought in, being as you can't get closer. Yes, in your realization, in your understanding, in your vision, in your seeing, you grow closer to see more of it. But Christ is <clears throat> the one who destroyed the distance, all right? So chapter 6. Chapter 7 is an interesting chapter. I don't know who's going to cover it, me or Neil, we'll see. But chapter 7 actually describes a very bad negative experience of someone who tries to transform himself, his disposition, based on his knowledge of the Bible. So, and unfortunately, that's a version of Christianity that is preached all over the world today. Here's your Bible. Here's you. Make up your mind. Make your decision for God. And based on that, expect your life to be transformed. You become miserable, my friend. And you would quit your walk with the Lord, most likely. And if you don't quit, you will become a <clears throat> horrible hypocrite. And you will feel horrible. Because that's not how it's designed. And then... He finally, in chapter 8, he moves you into what Watchman Nee called normal Christian 
life. That's when you learn to let Christ not only come into your life once, but to operate from within you and to build himself into you and to manifest himself through you. And you learn the greatest secret of Christian life. No longer I, but Christ who lives in me. No longer I, less of me and more of him. In me, in you. Christ on the cross co-signed for you. He paid for your debt that you could never pay before God. Your debt and my debt. But he didn't stay on the cross. He was risen. He was resurrected from the dead. And he became a life-giving spirit to impart life into you. And this is to become your experience. That's a Christian life we talk about in this church. If you're interested in something else, again, you heard me before. There are many churches. Go find one. We want reality of God. We want experiential reality of God. My computer died. It looks like it. Oh, Lord Jesus. Oh. Did I cover this? Yes, I did. So let me just read this little bridge. Chapter 5. This verses and I'm, I'm sorry if if Paul would live today I would give him a hard time because he tends to cram things into his writing and it's like become so packed so convoluted so it's hard to read sometimes I have to reread the same passage like multiple 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 times slow down dwell and camp on one verse to understand and unpack it there's no way we're going to do it here but I'm going to just read it and we're going to focus your attention to on some of the verses here Paul tries to explain to you something that it's not just you that we're talking about it's not just your personal struggle or problem he wants and, and we live in the society when everything is based on individual approach right individual rights individual freedoms individual everything basically we even we Christians, even us Christians, we come to anything related to God with the question in the back of our mind, what's it there for me? Well, that, that will get us by, but that will always, almost always make us miss the big picture in the scripture. Because it's not all about you. You're part of something bigger, always. So here Paul talks about, he kind of reduces all the history of humanity to two men only. There is no place for Dennis there. There is no place for Neil there. There is no place for Derek there. There are only two names there, two people there. Adam, the first man, and Christ, the last Adam. And everything hinges on where you are. And you don't really have a choice about being an Adam first because you're born this way. But you do have a choice about being in Christ because you can be born again. That's, a, in a nutshell, a message of Christian gospel. Okay, let's read it. Romans 5. Well, as soon as my computer will start obeying me, I need to cast some demons out of it, I think. <clears throat> okay. Okay, where is it? Okay, let's bring it to the screen. Chapter 5. Yeah. We'll start with uh, verse 12, and we'll, we'll just read the whole thing. I may stop at some verses, but then I'll, I'll give an explanation, and I'll, I'll bring it to a conclusion. So, let's read it. Therefore, Paul says, therefore, it's a conclusion. It's he, he, he kind of wraps up what he said before, first four chapters, five chapters. 
and he move, he's about to move us on into the second part and he says therefore just as sin came into the world through one man and death through sin and so death spread to all men because all sinned a lot of people ask questions like am I a sinner or is he or she a sinner because she or he sins a lot, they sin a lot, or are they a sinner because they sin? Well, the thing is, yes, both. The answer to the question, am I a sinner because I sin or do I sin because I'm a sinner? The, question, the answer is yes. You sin because you're a sinner and it started with Adam. But some people never sin. Some little tiny kids died without, I don't think they sinned. I don't know what's your theology. I don't think an infant sinned personally, yet he died or she died. That's, my friend, is the problem that Paul's talking about. He said, you might register sin. How do you register sin? With, with laws, with rules, with standards. Or you might not register sin, like, like with, in the case of a little infant, baby. But the death reigns on all men. And that, my friend, came from Adam. So let's keep on reading. He said, for sin indeed was in the world before the law was given, but sin is not counted where there is no law. Yet death reigned from Adam to Moses. Even over those whose sinning was not like the transgression of Adam. Even those who might not have done anything bad, death reigns. It's a king. It's a tyrannical king. We kind of got used to it. We think we have democracy. You have a very tyrannical king trying to rule over your life. It's called death. And it's manifested in different ways. And the gospel is, is a news about somebody taking you, setting you free from the tyranny of this king. Do you hear me? Verse, verse 15. But the free gift is not like trespass. He's talking about the trespass of Adam. Free gift is not like trespass. For if many died through one man's trespass, much more. That's Paul's commercial. There's much more. Much more have the grace of God and the free gift by the grace of that one man, Jesus Christ, abounded for many. The grace of God abounds and it trumps anything that Adam has done. I apologize for yelling. Whatever Adam has done flooded the earth, flooded the world, filled the entire humanity, all mankind from the beginning to the end, all people that were born or will ever be born with death that reigns and dominates them. And there is no hope. But Christ came. And He didn't just bring it to neutral. It abounds. It overfloods. It overfloods. God is not a loser. He's not going to like, oh, give it back to me. No. Anything you try to take away from God increases and becomes way more manifestation of God's glory. So Paul says in the same verse, where sin abounded, grace abounded much more. When law is proclaimed and uh, preached just to show how sinful you are, to reveal 
the grace comes. So I was so upset that so many churches in America preached law and legalism and condemnation. But now I'm not upset anymore. They create my future clients. They create people who would be so happy to find this church. Thank you pastors. Thank you preachers. Thank you condemnation preachers. I'm sorry. <laughs> All right. Let me read it. I, yeah. And the free gift is not like the result of that one man's sin. For the judgment following one trespass through condemnation, but the free gift following many trespasses. Many trespasses have been made by many people through the history, including you, your trespasses. Many trespasses, trespasses free gift brought justification. Christ co-signed for you personally. Christ co-signed for me. Uh, verse 17, for if because of one man's trespass, that being Adam, death reigned through that one man. Again, much more those who receive the abundance of grace and the free gift of righteousness will reign in life through the one man, Jesus Christ. You were a slave in chains of sin and Christ has come and said, I don't want you to be dominated by death. I don't want you to be dominated by sin. Took off those chains, broke those shackles and said, now you will become a king. You will reign. How? Through the grace of God. The grace of God is there for you to reign. The promise of the Old Testament, you will not be the tail. You will be the head. How do you become the head? Through the grace of God in Christ Jesus. You're called to be the head in this life. Verse 18. Therefore is... One trespass led to condemnation for all men. So one act of righteousness leads to justification and life. Here are these two parts of the gospel of God. There's justification and life. You're not justified just to being declared not guilty. You're justified. You're declared not guilty to be able to receive the abundance of grace and life. So that you would begin to reign. And Christ will begin to manifest through you. Does it make sense? That's the Christianity we talk about. We don't want anything else. I don't, I don't want anything else. I want reality. Man. Verse 19. For as by one man's disobedience, Adam, the many were made sinners. The word made is interesting. They were made sinners. That's why they sinned. They, they, they were constituted as sinners. The many were made sinners. So by the one man's obedience, the many will be made righteous. Hey guys, you are righteous. And you are becoming righteous. You're totally, 100% righteous before God. Why? Because Christ co-signed for you. His signature is there. <clears throat> but you're becoming righteous in your attitudes, in your responses, in your reactions. And it takes years. Don't be frustrated. Because He not only signed for you, He imparted you. He imparts His life into you. He puts Himself as a life-giving spirit in you. And He wants you to learn not to live by yourself, by your will, by your determination, by your ideas. But to yield to Him to surrender to Him, to experience Him, and to release Him 
into other people's life. Do you believe this? Yes. Wonderful. In verse 20, he says, and he still talks to those Jewish believers. He says, now the law came to increase the trespass, but where sin increased, just like I told you before, where sin increased, grace abounded all the more. So don't try to scare me with how sinful this person or that person is. The more you tell me about how sinful he is or she is, I go, ha, ha, ha. The grace of God has got to be poured out upon him mightily. <laughs> so, and the last verse, 21. So that, conclusion, as sin reigned in death, grace also might reign through righteousness leading to eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Just like sin and death reigned, those tyrannical kings, life and grace will reign. And you will reign in this life and grace. All right? So here Paul talking about our heritage in Adam and the gift in Christ. And he compares them. And he says in some regards they're the same. They're similar. But in some regards they're very different. Uh, I wrote a short summary, but before I do, you know, this individual approach, mindset, and glasses that we wear, as I told you, prevent us to see a big picture. Here's the big picture. Life doesn't work like it's just me, and I decide what to be, what to have, what is going to happen. or what. When you come to a doctor, he's going to ask you, like, about the diseases, illnesses, and disorders that your forefathers had. You know Why? Because you're a continuation of your family line. You're an extension. Your children are an extension of you. So when we talk about heritage or inheritance, there is some heritage that we can refuse to receive and accept, but there is some that we can't. Because it's not really passed on to us, it's passed on into us. Let me share with you my personal story. I never met my dad. So a lot of things about my life was a mystery to me. I couldn't really trust a lot of stories my mom told me. So eh, for years I was kind of wondering about like, what's the deal with my ethnicity? Like, who am I? Who's my dad? I wonder. So some years ago I began to suspect Jewish genes in me. Uh, <laughs> and four years ago I started working night shifts. And I decided to try to grow a big full beard. Not like this little goatee. And I'm going to show you some pictures. So when I grew a big beard, I began to look like Jewish rabbi. <laughs> in fact, there was a Halloween here in the neighborhood. And there was a beggar's night. And Vika, my little daughter, was ready to go trick-or-treat. And I didn't have a costume for myself. I only had a costume for her. She was a cute unicorn. I said, what kind of a costume can I have? I have a trench coat and I have a hat and I have a beard. And I look like a rabbi. Let's try it. Show the picture. I did look like a rabbi. So, I thought, so that even reinforced my suspicions about I must have some, some Jewish blood in me. But then I realized beard really makes like everything different. It changes everything. People who knew me for years wouldn't recognize me on the street when I would like extend my hand. Hi. I said, hi, who are you? So, and then I realized beard plus hat changes everything. Look at this next one. 
Would you recognize me there? No. That's, I call it a wild, wild west caveman. This says, don't mess with me. Okay. And then I was at the culture festival here downtown Springfield, and they were doing all kinds of things. And there was the Indian culture and the Philippines, and, and there was those guys, Sikhs, that's money knows it's a religion in um, India. And they were making those funny looking turbans. I said, Oh, give me one, give me one. Let's look at the next one. <laughs> I mean, would you? Those are like all different people. I even passed for like a proud owner of a pickup truck from Ohio. Next one. Next one? No, with Ohio State? Yeah. So these are like four different people, right? But there was so much Jewish stuff and people were confirming it and they said, oh yeah, you have so many like weird things about you that are so Jewish, like you like books and you like writing and you don't like your, uh, your stomach is easily upset. I was told it's a Jewish thing. So, and then I like grew that beard and I began to look like it. Here was a problem. My kids, look at this picture. Like for a Jewish guy, that doesn't look like a girl who was born in the Middle East. So for some strange reason, I produce children with blonde hair and blue eyes. <laughs> and finally, two years ago, I decided to do, I mean, to, I thought it's also a Jewish thing that I don't want to waste money on DNA test. But I overcame my Jewish habit. So I paid my 200 bucks or whatever, and I got my DNA done. Hey, ready for results? Yeah. 67% pretty pure Baltic states, <laughs> Estonia, Latvia, Lithuania, maybe a little bit of Finland. A lot of people with blonde hair, blue eyes. I've been there. I know what I'm talking about. The mystery and rebel. Any percentage of Jewish blood there? Zero. 33% <laughs> Eastern Europe and Russia. Of course. Duh. <laughs> So here's my thing. It doesn't matter how I dress. I may look like this or that or like Jewish rabbi or Sikh. <laughs> I can only reproduce myself as a blonde hair <laughs> and blue eyes because that's my DNA. Because some people messed around back in, I don't know, centuries ago in Lithuania, Latvia and Estonia. Somehow today this guy in Ohio, and if I were ever to give birth to new kids, most likely, high probability, I would have some kids with blue eyes and blonde hair. That's the heritage you cannot say no to. I'm sorry for elaborating too long. I wanted to entertain you a little bit. <clears throat> but that's our, that's our heritage in Adam. You cannot just decide to do better. You cannot just decide to grab a Bible, learn the Word of God, and transform your life. It's not going to work. First of all, you can't pay the debt that you generated in Adam. And you don't get to say yes or no to this debt. You inherited it. Christ co-signed for you. You're justified by faith through His blood. But then your disposition comes out. And it's not very Christ-like. 
and you're bothered by that and you even some of you even get to despair like Lord maybe I'm not even a Christian you are a Christian don't worry you just need to learn the second part of the gospel the spirit of resurrected Christ dwells in you and he wants to become known to you first and then transform you from within <laughs> Adam got something into him that transmuted him and disqualified him from the original design and destiny of God and all hope was lost but God said not with me and he sent his son who paid your debt and not only he paid your debt your debt he became life-giving spirit to impart himself into you so that he would transform you from within so that you would become more and more like him that's the gospel my friend and that's what I reminded you today using this little bridge between the first part of the book of Romans and the last part in Jesus name I pray this seed is planted in you firmly and grows in Jesus name thanks for listening we hope you enjoyed this message for more information about our church visit vineyardnorthridge.org or find us on social media at vineyardnorthridge.org